Yep, we are live. Welcome to the Loop Podcast. I'm your host, John Beck, Global Head of Paid at Cognizim, and I'm delighted to be joined by Isaac from Yuzu Gems. How are you doing, Isaac? Doing fantastic. Uh, I'm excited to be on this one. Yeah, I'm actually more excited than probably you are because uh, for the last couple of months, I have been stalking all of your ads. I have been uh, retargeted by a couple of your ads. Probably I visited your company page. Uh, there was $100 gift card. I was so tempted to submit that uh, form, but I was like, okay, probably they won't give me that card. Uh, but apart from that, there are a lot of ABM campaigns that uh, I have been seeing on your LinkedIn uh, profile. And I would like to first ask, How uh, did you build that strategy? Yeah, so that was one of the things. So when I came into the user gems, there wasn't a whole lot on the paid media side. We didn't have a paid media person. We had organic social, we had content, we had Trinity. Um, so the, it was kind of a whoever, whoever could do a little bit was doing it. Um, and for the ABM strategy, you know, we figured if we don't have a ton of spend early on or anything like that, we might as well make it count. So it started about three years ago and it's evolved from there. So we actually we actually run a 300 one-to-one um, campaigns every single month. Um, okay, wait, uh, 300 you said, uh, 300. Yep, Two, 200 to 300 accounts every single month, paid media and with ADR out- outreach as well. Do you change uh, these 300 accounts every month? We do. Holy. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, uh, the first question, how do you manage this? How do you manage 300 uh, campaigns? Yeah, I think one of the one of the main keys is is finding a good process for account selection, but really just like start small because otherwise this is the most overwhelming program that you can manage. Um, we do it with a really small team. We have Quinn who helps execute like the, the ad creation side of things. So helping with those logos in the ads, messaging, Um, and we actually do something really cool too as well. So we go through those accounts and we find if they have a customer story on their website. Um, and we actually go in, check that customer story, see if there's a job change recently with that customer. And we'll actually put that in the ad. So we'll say, we'll have ads that say, Hey, did you know your customer, uh, John Smith, who was at this company moved to this company. So it kind of gives that like sneak peek of what the product is doing but also just adds a level of customization that you just you just don't see. Um, so it, kind of, it catches your attention really well. But again, big manual effort on that side. Small team, but definitely like we have month, every single every single day of the month, the ABX team is doing something on that side. Small team, but still still busy. Yeah, this just gave me a goosebump. Uh, like, <laughs> and my next question was going to be the scalability, but apparently you already found a way to scale these campaigns. And... Okay, so you run three you you run campaigns for three hundred different campaigns each month, and uh, what are your success metrics? Because okay, when we think about ABM, uh, we think about long sales cycles and we think about a journey. Uh, like how what do you want to achieve in a month, and what do you call a success after thirty days? Yeah, definitely. So we we actually do a ninety day window. So we we still look within that thirty day window. Um, but at 90 days, especially helps because our ADRs are still, our ADR outreach reaches a little bit beyond that 30 day mark. Um, so there's still going to be some sequences going out past that. Um, so we still shoot for that eight to 10% conversion to op within the month. Um, and right now we have a goal to hit about 15% on the 90 day. So it's a, it's lofty, 
but it's happened. Um, so I think October we were looking at 10% of all of the accounts turned into ops within the month. So it works really well. Um, but I think the, the, the key piece of it though is the, is the ADR outreach. I mean, you get some conversions mm -hmm. through on the ads, but so much of it is ADR outreach or again, the, the non-attributables. So coming through direct or organic or, or whatever on that side, but yeah. So in terms of ADR, so you created a new job title, ABM Development Representative, <laughs> is that right? And I think it's account, it's account, <laughs> but we just had to toss a different letter at the front. They're SDRs, BDRs, so XDRs I've been hearing now too, so yeah. yeah. Actually, I think this whole concept uh, aligns very well with uh, the whole category that Usagems created. Like, I don't know any other company that is running 300 uh, company ABM uh, campaign. Uh, and when you think about it, like maybe I don't know, five years ago, there was no such category. And even now, this category is now uh, newly being established. You have competitors, uh, but like it's been a journey. Uh, and in, how do you think, like when we think about the ABM campaigns and creating the category, how do you think uh, they align? Like how do you think they work together? I think one of the I think one of the toughest parts with with that was was finding a way to stand out. When you don't have category, people develop their preconceived notions very quickly, and once they have their preconceived notions, it's really hard to unlearn that and re-educate because a lot of them will hear just enough to be like, "Oh, I know what they do, but I already have a solution to solve this problem." Their solution's missing 80% of it still, but it's still kind of breaking that down. So finding a way to stand out for us was huge with with ABM. I mean, being able to have something that's a little bit more innovative catch their attention, at least be able to stay in front of them for long enough. Because um, with other categories, there's been years of your competitors kind of breaking down those over time, re-educating, years of education around it. And when you're starting a category, it's you're having to go through all those cycles yourself and you have to find a way to break through the noise and actually get people to care. Um, I think getting people to care is, 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 a tough, is a tough thing early on. Yeah, I can imagine, especially, again, uh, if people have already an opinion about that, uh, then it is actually hard to change the opinion. And like, I think it was last week, I read this post on LinkedIn. It was a question, uh, what do you think uh, is more important? That your prospects don't know who you are or your prospects uh, don't know what your product is capable of? And uh, that's the thing, okay, if your prospects don't know who you are, then you can teach them and you can educate them. But if they have a different idea, then it is actually harder to change that idea. Yeah, no, it's it's really interesting, and and we saw that um, we saw it with even call to actions early on. So my call to actions two years ago that I tried to run around data tests or something like that, they just didn't work. And it was something where I'm like, I don't quite understand why back then when I was early at User Gyms, we shut things down. When I relaunched the exact same call to actions later on, all of a sudden there was a response. And it's like you can kind of measure that education of the market around it. So staying in front of there, and, and that's one of the things we measure at User Gems is people on calls saying, we see you guys everywhere. Because that's something we want. It's like from start to finish, from the first time you hear about us through an ABM campaign or whatever like that, to the time you're you're a customer and beyond, like we want to be in front of you just all the time. Like it's it's excessive, but in my opinion, it's necessary. 
Definitely. Like, uh, you need to be building a media company, not less than it. Okay, it is hard, but it is necessary. Uh, yeah. And yeah, we do have the same thing. Like, we track all of these. Okay, we see you everywhere. We see you on LinkedIn. Uh, Convo's on Gong. And like, every month, as we see more and more numbers, even though we are not seeing direct pipeline from LinkedIn, even though we are not seeing any impression journey from LinkedIn, we know that it is working. Uh, and one thing you said actually uh, was really, really interesting, the call to action. What was that call to action that didn't work before? And then uh, how did, like what changed between? Yeah, yeah. So we actually were running um, more retargeting call to actions around getting a data test. And looking back at it now, I'm like, okay, I, I understand why people probably weren't, were acting on that one back then. Um, but what it is, is basically we take a look at your CRM, we tell you how many job changers you've missed, where they're going, where they're landing, what percentages break down of everything. So you know, does this make sense for my company? And it's it's an amazing part in the, in the sales process where they get that kind of yeah. holy shit moment of, oh, wow. Like, yeah, we, were, we had a process for this, but that process just, it wasn't doing it. And it's hard evidence to back that up. When we first launched that, there just had been no, there just hadn't been enough education around that kind of top of funnel knowledge of job change tracking and its importance, which is really interesting because it's a playbook that sales has been using for, for decades. Um, marketing has a little bit of knowledge of it, but not much. Um, but they never really thought about expanding to it. So being able to kind of get them to connect that with the data test was really helpful. So when we relaunched that call to action, um, I did a better, I, I think I did a better job of calling out you're skeptical about user gems or you you know, but you haven't acted. So kind of calling out the inaction of we know, we know you know us, <laughs> but why haven't you done anything about it? Kind of show, decide for yourself, like get a data test, decide for yourself and and then you'll see. Um, and it started working a lot better once we, we took that approach to it. Fair, fair. And when I think about it, it is directly actionable. Like, as you said, if I see that my customers actually changed jobs and if I know that those customers actually are the customers that liked me, obviously they are the low-hanging fruit. And like a couple of months back, uh, I created this self-report attribution uh, dashboard on HockeyStack. And then uh, I saw that most of our pipeline, inbound pipeline, was actually coming from old customers previous customers, uh, people who used us before. And they do actually write this, even the self-report attribution forms. And now that we are tracking that even more, uh, we can see that, okay, there's LinkedIn, YouTube. Okay, people are seeing us on YouTube. Perfect, it is working. But compared to uh, I usually before, previous customer, those are nothing. People, and their conversion rate is like four x better because they already know. Like they don't need to speak with the SDR. They they know the pricing. They know what they are be they are going to be getting. They are like, okay, give me the pricing and let's start. It's it's awesome too being able to use them as. I mean, there's a bunch of different variations of that too because then you look at like late stage close lost op job changes. They've still been through the whole sales process, so they're educated more than any other lead that you're going to get in any other any other channel. Um, so that, and then also using those champions as a way to accelerate a deal. So like watching those open ops for a champion entering from a previous company, um, and using them to accelerate the deal. So it's, yeah, it's, it's an awesome playbook on the sales and marketing side. Yeah. I mean, it does, uh, sound awesome. Uh, and in terms of this playbook, I feel like your sales team is also using this playbook, right? Like you can't take, yeah. Like, yeah. 
yeah, it's fantastic. And and I use it on the on the marketing side too. So I run ads to job changers, just launched a campaign that's more BDR, uh, like IC, who have switched jobs too. Um, but more of the call to action around, hey, like, do you miss hitting quota? Like, ask your manager for user gems again. Because that's one of the things we kept hearing in testimonial videos is like, 50% of my pipeline is from user gems every single month. Or there was a, there's a video from Brian Lomano who's like, 25% of his pipeline with less than 5% of his time is from user gems. So be able to kind of call to that, um, to those testimonials, refer that over to the BDRs and hopefully get some action up to their managers. Yeah, actually we are testing the same thing. Like we split maybe 30% of our campaigns for ICs. Okay, they are not the decision makers, but they are the power users. And although we are not getting direct pipeline from these ICs, we can actually track that uh, these ICs along the way speak with their managers, and then uh, th there's some dark social shit, you know, uh, and it is working. Although again, it is not direct attributable. Uh, if the power users know your product, then your sales cycle will be much easier. Yeah, it's it's su it's super interesting you say that too because I I think that's one of the like some of the best marketing orgs that I always talk to. There's a huge element of like. Eh, we don't we don't really know. Like, yeah, we know it influences it. We we could do our best to track it, but we don't fully know. And then whenever I see some of these orgs that are struggling, they're like, "Well, my manager said if I can't track it directly, it doesn't get budgeted." And I'm like, "Oh man, if I <laughs> if I ever had that situation, I'm like, I don't think I could. I don't think I'd make it." <laughs> yeah, I mean, I remember back in my previous company, uh, it was either the direct lead or unsuccessful results like you had to prove the actual uh, investment and even if i was saying okay we create this brand campaign and now we are seeing an increase in the organic uh demo request it was not directly attributable therefore it wasn't like a success for paid marketing now it looks like you're up in the seo budget <laughs> <laughs> uh, in terms of success uh what are the su success metrics for the marketing team at user gems yeah, so it's it's pipeline. Um, definitely a lot more common answer now. Um, so direct direct to pipeline. Um, Sarah, our ADR lead, has a different stage. That's her OKR. Um, I'm a little bit earlier with my OKR, but we're still constantly watching those conversion rates between each each piece of the funnel, each piece of the sales cycle. Um, and we do our best to understand like what are we running top of top of funnel that's feeding middle of funnel if we actually want to break it down into funnel um, that leads to higher ICP or demo requests or something like that. Um, so we do our best to get a visual on it. It's definitely tough with a smaller team to get an amazing visual on it, but watching overall pipeline seems to be a good, good baseline for us right now. Yeah. And the thing is if the total pipeline hits the target, then okay. Does it really matter to see every other small detail? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's getting into those small details that's that's sometimes tough but yeah and okay now you have a small marketing team but uh if let's say you have unlimited resources uh i don't know 50 people marketing team and uh you are given a million maybe two million dollar monthly marketing budget uh alongside what you are already doing right now what would you be doing with that money and resources me a media arm that's that's like what that's one of the main things that i mean i, I keep seeing it pop up and it's just it's so i mean be, being able to feed demand being able to feed organic social um and actually generate 
content people like is is huge right now. Um, and I think with with your your partnership with Hockey Stack at the Flow, correct? Um, things yeah. like that is it's what people want to consume. And I think we got so comfortable in the past few years of you could like two years ago you could just launch just just about whatever you wanted and and <laughs> it would pro- it would produce <laughs> realistically. You're so right. You're, you're so right. Yeah. So it's like we got so comfortable with that that it was uh, it had that kind of market bubble, but then it also kind of trickled down into the content we were producing, where it was like it didn't have to be that great to produce. So people just kind of took their effort level down, and now that we're seeing difficulty just ramped up to 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 hard, we're seeing a lot more great content. So I I love that it's moving that direction, but again, it takes it takes resources to build build content like that. There's some companies out there that are doing an amazing job with it, but it's something that I would. I'd spend a lot on. Yeah, actually, uh, in terms of those content, like uh, the flow with Hockey Stick and Lavender's uh, The Lavender Land, uh, when they first asked me to record those videos, I was like, okay, let me record. And it was just me talking about what I know on the weekend. Uh, but then they changed it, the whole scene in a actually really funny way. Like I actually liked uh, the and uh and result then after i start watching my videos on the flow i start to watch other videos and i was like you know what it's actually addictive like it was like tiktok and uh like last week it was like 1am i was on the bed and i was not on tiktok i was actually on the flow and watching the worst marketeer at one at 1pm i was like okay this is bad i need to sleep but uh apparently i spent like one half hour that night in the flow I love it. It's uh, Trinity. Trinity. I have been talking about a decent amount of like, what is what does that future look like for content? And it is it is like that. I mean, our attention spans are even dropping. So some of that short form content's amazing. That's something I actually just launched uh, in October was top of funnel TikTok style recorded ads, where it's just me talking to the camera, those quick cuts, bold subtitles, and it was double the CTR of our of our single image ad. So I was like, okay, this is there's something to it. Um, Little, little low budget on this side of things, but yeah, there is something to it. Yeah, for example, in terms of videos, I have interesting opinions about that. Okay, they have better CTR, they are cheaper to distribute, uh, they get more engagement, but also, like, I still haven't proven this idea, and this is maybe just me being weird, uh, but when I scroll on LinkedIn, I don't necessarily watch videos. Now it's it has become like addiction. I just scroll. I just like the post and I just uh, do my stuff. Like I don't consume that content within LinkedIn. And I'm not sure, like I'm speaking with my team. I'm spe- speaking with other people. Like how do you use LinkedIn? Is it just me or you also do the same thing? And I'm going to ask you the same question. Do you actually, when you see a video ad, do you consume it or do you just scroll? There's certain video ads that bother me and I don't, and I don't actually know, and it actually could be why. Because I was thinking about the other day when I was scrolling, I was like, I saw a video ad that I just like didn't like, and I was like, I don't know why this bothers me so much. I'm running, I'm running video <laughs> ads too, and I'm really wondering if it's kind of that disruption of whatever dopamine where we're just sitting there scrolling, liking, scrolling, liking. Um, but what's really interesting though is I was, I was still looking at like demographics on who was engaging, and it was like. VP of sales was one of my highest engaged. So I, I, I'm wondering if it's outside of my generation. It's outside of my demographic of maybe we aren't consuming it like that, but maybe some other people find video a little bit more interesting or it catches their attention more. Um, maybe people that are on TikTok less are more more <laughs> attracted to that. I'm not sure. It's it's a good point, though. 
you know what? Actually, this this is a great point uh, that I haven't checked before. Uh, yeah, tomorrow my homework will be to check that. Uh, that could be interesting. Like, okay, we have the video campaigns, then we can just look at demographics uh, data, job similarities, and yeah, if we see that VPs and C levels are higher, then it would actually validate that they don't use TikTok that much, they don't use Reels that much, and they are more likely to consume that content on LinkedIn. It's interesting. Yeah, let me know. Shoot me a message if you figure that out, actually. Uh, I'm actually going to do that. Oh, let me just a second. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> yeah, that could be really interesting. And actually, about this, now we are talking about uh, all of these videos. And you said, okay, two years ago, any content campaign, any content it would work, any type of content would work. Definitely, like, I would just write an ebook and publish it. And it would take a night. Uh, <laughs> and... It did work, like all of those uh, stuff did work. And when you think about uh, this whole journey, what do you think changed in digital marketing, I don't know, in the last two years? And what are the things that uh, you used to do before and uh, do they still work? Yeah, I, I, I used to be heavy on Facebook, Facebook, Instagram, and I, I know you guys have some sort of success there. I know you guys still run. I stock you guys' ads there for, for when I eventually make my comeback to Facebook, Instagram. But um, I don't know what caused the change. I mean, obviously, there was just the, the market and everything like that. It was it was really interesting, though, how fast it, it shifted from even non-decision makers were affected by companies just not having budget. It's, it's almost like they were afraid to bring stuff to yeah. their VP or afraid to bring stuff to their director. So it kind of killed stuff top to bottom for a while. And it was, it was like a hard reset on what worked and what didn't. Because that was that was one of the things that I brought this up to a lot of other demand gens. I brought, brought up to my LinkedIn rep or some, and, and all sorts of all sorts of people. But I had a video, a customer story video. It was about 15 seconds long. Actually, no, it was a little bit longer. But ran it on LinkedIn from the, the time I launched it to about 45 days later i had around 90 demo requests that came in through that one customer story video just within 45 days was cranking them out sub 100 it was like 80 percent icp and then all of a sudden you can see right when kind of that sentiment around the market hit it just tanked and it was really interesting because it was an ic talking about the product and how it influenced it and, and i almost wonder if it is a shift in that IC being scared to bring stuff up just affected stuff across the board. Because, I mean, if you look at it like that, I think even dark social would have been heavily impacted yeah. because ADR leaders or SDR leaders, SDR leaders are constantly listening to their team for the newest tools and what's interesting or what they want. And if that kind of drops off, it's amazing how much influence gets dropped behind the scenes. It's actually, it's a great point. And when you tested that, uh, was it a cold audience or a remarketing one? Uh, that one was a remarketing audience, yeah. Well, still, we had we had some top of funnel that were still performing, but that one specifically was a remarketing audience. Amazing results. And uh, do you do Google Ads? Lightly, um, it's a lot of brand, and there's some search. Um, that's one of the sort of the downfalls of not having category is you don't have people like if you look at the volume of people searching for job change tracking or how to even how to's or anything like that you're sub 100 searches on so much so you do kind of have to get creative on what you're looking at there um what you're bidding on but even then how much of that lands that just doesn't convert because again 
they didn't even know there was a software solution out there. So now that's their first time even discovering there could be a solution around there. Now they have to go through the whole funnel. So it's not it's not a it's not as easy as some of the other campaigns I ran ran back in the Google Ads campaigns I ran back in the day. But yeah, it exists, but it's low, low, low budget. Yeah, actually, when you think about the I don't know generic search terms, I cannot think of any like what can someone be searching job changes tracker tracking software like it's actually really tricky yeah yeah it was a, it was a it was a frustrating one for the longest time because it's like I've, i've probably done 300 google ads campaigns for different or like 300 different companies at least at this point and it was one of the ones where i just like sat there for days and i was like trying to figure out i was like there has to be like there has to be a term around this that, that people are searching for but It's all very, very top of funnel. So like playbook stuff kind of worked for a bit. Um, but yeah, it's a tough one. But yeah, uh, I think as you said, this is uh, one of the challenges of creating a category from scratch. And uh, as we briefly mentioned, like you create the category by yourself and it's been a hell of a journey. Uh, and what were the challenges uh, when you were actually building this category? It was interesting because we always we always talked about like creating a category as something that was like really far in the future, and it wasn't something that we discussed. Like we never like discussed creating category on a weekly basis or anything <laughs> like that. And it was just one of those things that just like slowly started to happen more and more. And it was there's I think it's all the challenges are just like you have a small team. It's a market you've met like nobody's ever worked in job change tracking, so you can't pull in outside resources or hire outside in to kind of get that kind of help that learning curve. So it's like a bunch of people are doing this for the very first time. So it's, I think there's a lot of speed bumps, but it also kind of opened it up to, it's nice not having a bunch of people with preconceived notions about how this should be built. Um, so I think we got a lot of input from a lot of different industries and categories, everything on one team. And it made it, it made it fun. Um, it's definitely challenging not having a ton of bandwidth and, uh, and trying to educate uh, an audience that thinks they have a solution for something, but really doesn't. And, breaking through the noise there but it was fun i think it i think it made everybody everybody on our team a better marketer even even the salespeople. i mean they that was one of the biggest challenges for them too is like you're giving them leads sometimes that or demo requests sometimes that they they kind of know a little bit about what you do but it's not much at all so now their job is a lot of the, those demo requests those discovery calls were just education calls around the solution as a whole and why why they should even care so it, it was interesting very interesting and now you have competitors right like there's yeah. other players in this category like the category yeah. has been built and now you have other competitors that are doing the same job yeah yeah there it's it's interesting and i think i mean the the market's big enough and i think a lot of those they go after the smaller smaller fish everybody's kind of falling into their place um But it's also nice too, because I mean, whatever whatever education they're doing on their side, they're helping build the category, which is great. Um, yeah, and but, I yeah. think like don't get me wrong, I think it's an amazing thing. Like it means that okay, apparently you created something. The other companies think the market is big enough, and they decided to enter this uh, market, the new category. Like I think this is a huge definition of success. You build something, and the others are now copying you. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. It's it's so tough to to be excited about it too sometimes though because it's like you'll go to websites of like one of these like two person startups that pops up and it's like they copied word for word everything off your homepage and you're like, okay guys, <laughs> like I get it, like the flattery thing is great, but like maybe we change things up a little bit. 
Um, it's interesting. It's fun. <laughs> yeah, actually, uh, I do get some cold emails from the uh, companies that copy Cognizant, uh, and they <laughs> don't even know that they copied Cognizant. Uh, and the emails are like, okay, we help you to find the sales contacts that you need. Uh, let us give you 25 free lists. Uh, do you want to level up your lead generation? Let us give you free lists. I'm like, okay, can you please check the company name? We, we started noticing it, especially when people started, like, we have, like, self-generated stats from our own data and stuff like that. We have those on our site. Once, <laughs> once those competitors are started copying and pasting those, I'm like, okay, yeah. This is a, just a one for one. We don't even care where the data came from. We're just copying. Uh. <laughs> and uh, there's something uh, that I saw on your LinkedIn profile. I'm not sure if it makes sense or not, but I'm going to ask you anyways. Uh, you said testing. Uh, let me see my notes. Testing how much marketing can influence the sales cycle. So is this something that you are currently testing? Yeah, so we we're currently testing. We have a lot of different variations, but the the main one that I talk about is specifically around multi-threading. So um, user gem services, those buyers into the CRM, all that good stuff. What we're using that data for, though, is yeah, sales. I'm you 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 know you know you know this topic is sales use, needs those contacts. They multi-thread with them. They need them to get into the accounts. Everything like that. The interesting thing you can do with that, though pushing those into audiences for paid media. So, I mean, sales knows that playbook. They do it all the time. They multi-thread their deal, every single deal. Marketing doesn't know multi-threading nearly as well. So we rolled mm -hmm. this out um, initially, hoping that we'd see a bunch of demo requests or something through the ads. As you know, that usually never goes as planned. Um, <laughs> so we so we started, uh, we started hearing it on calls a lot though of like, we were running these ads that said, hey, sales, hey, marketing, hey, RevOps, your team is talking with us about X. Do you want to join the conversation? Um, and people were bringing these up on calls all the time. People were screenshotting the ads, sending them in Slack, starting conversations behind the scenes. So we saw that initial success. So we were like, okay, so how, how do we even test this? So we, we actually did a full CRM test on this. So each account got assigned... Uh, a number, a one or a two is just a field in Salesforce. And we split test half of them. So if that op opened and it was a split test, yes, or a split test, no, um, they would be served these ads. So we started running that and I always have to pull up the numbers. 25% um, bigger deal sizes, 31% higher win rates, 67% more prospects involved in a deal and a 17% shorter sales cycle. So we had to run this test for, I think it was close, it was over six months to get something that was like statistically significant, but it was really cool being able to see the impact of marketing, multi-threading and all those stats stem from, you just have more contacts in that deal. More people have entered into the sales cycle. You have your marketing, your rev ops, your, your sales personas in that, which inherently bump up win rates and deal sizes and everything like that. That's amazing. Like, uh, that's amazing. And do you currently run these campaigns still? Yeah, we still run oh, it. Obviously. Yeah, so I even run the same ads just because I think my the likes on the ads are up to like ninety on each ad. So I'm like, man, the so the social proof there is is hard to beat. Um, so I'm keep keeping the ads the same and Fair. just running them. And it's a it's a constantly churning audience, so you don't have to worry about frequency as much. And actually, split testing uh, is a great idea. When we 
tested uh, the same thing. Uh, we didn't do that, unfortunately. Like we were like, okay, let's choose uh, 50 accounts uh, that have the best ACV. Uh, and we started with 50. And then we were like, okay, but we are not seeing any statistically significant data. Then we were like, okay, let's test 100. Uh, but then we realized that, okay, maybe we shouldn't do this uh, by numbers, but we should just be splitting by half. Yeah. Yeah, it worked out well. It was, it was definitely a kind of a, I don't think our RevOps, uh, yeah, RevOps got it set up for me on the, on the Salesforce side. But yeah, it's one of those tests where it's at first seems not trackable and then when you get down to it but the the length of time though i think is is the tough part too is like you have to run that test for a very long time to be able to get something significant so but it was nice once you prove it it's like now you can kind of recommend it to customers and and stuff like that yeah, this is good because uh we have been running it maybe for like three four months and we haven't seen any success so this uh it is good perfect and <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you said Salesforce. So were you sending that data dynamically with uh, metadata? Uh, we actually were using, so the audience syncing is what you're asking about? Mm -hmm. Yeah. We're actually using um, Primer on that one. There's a company called sayprimer.com and they, they help sync audiences like that just at a smaller scale because that's that's about all we use them, all we use them for on that side. A um, couple customers run it and they just do a monthly manual upload of the audience just right out of Salesforce. But yeah. Yeah, fair, fair. I actually uh, had a call with them and they were more expensive than Metadata last year. So I was like, okay, you know what? <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I Oof. mean, uh, probably they, they saw the domain name, they saw Cognizant.com and they were like, okay, let's give you this pricing. And I was like, dude, I'm paying half of uh, it to Metadata. I, I feel like that might actually be the case there. It's funny how that works sometimes. It's the, it's the problem of being a giant, right? Yeah, so. and actually this is the problem of uh, not having an open pricing. Uh, and actually about this, do you have open pricing on your website? I haven't checked that. We have pricing. Um, we actually just redid our, we, we just redid our pricing. So we have a pricing page. It exists. I don't think we, I don't think we actually have it in the top though. No, you don't. No, but I'm, no. I mean, who am I to say that? Because we don't have either. <laughs> <laughs> It's a tough one where it's like it's it's that it's that constant balancing act of like especially when somebody doesn't know your category it's like here's this thing you barely know anything about and here's this price tag so and then <laughs> they have to kind of take it and run with it so I like having it a little bit behind the behind the scenes but if if somebody wants to find the pricing page they're gonna find it um, and we still are pretty <laughs> we're still open about how we price everything like that but it's it's one of those things that even before that demo request, comes into play, I think can throw a, throw a wrench in the cogs. Fair, fair. Uh, yeah, I'm a big fan of open pricing, but uh, for some other reasons, uh, unfortunately, I cannot do that. Anyway, this is Cogs podcast <laughs> and I'm not saying anything. Uh, <laughs> so uh, speaking of, <laughs> oopsie, uh, speaking of uh, pricing and like, yeah, that was a test that I really want to run. Like what would have happened if we had an open pricing, but unfortunately I couldn't get uh, the permission. Uh, and <laughs> speaking of uh, these experiments, these tests, is there a test that you were very hopeful about, you were very optimistic about, but then it just didn't work out? I think... I think one of my main ones was probably, I mean, shoot, I think that's a lot, a lot of paid media is just a bunch of 
I'm very hopeful about this. And then you launch it and you're like, okay, never, never mind. I wasn't. Um, I think one of the more recent ones, I think that data test one was really interesting of we ran that in the past, didn't work, was really hopeful, ran it again, it worked. I think another one too is just like general messaging. We, I don't know about you guys, but we had to do kind of a messaging shift around when the market did what it did. Um, and I think there was a lot of those were back to back where I was like testing messaging. I'm like, I, this has to be what works. And it just kept falling through. And, and for a while, our ABM campaign kind of hit a lull. Um, and I was doing a lot of messaging around competition where I was like, get to get to your previous customers before the competition, like be the first in the door. <laughs> it's a pain point that I hear fairly often. Um, ran it and just absolutely flopped. Um, and we never got any direct feedback on it. I adjusted messaging before I heard the feedback on why it wasn't working. I couldn't, couldn't really find it. And I think uh, Justine on our product marketing, well, Justine, who is our product marketing team, um, <laughs> had, a cu- had a customer interview where I, they brought up that specifically and were just like, absolutely had not even been thinking about competition, did not, it did not even have that in my brain. So you hear that from a customer and you're, or a, or a close lost and you're like, okay, now I, I get it. But it's always interesting when you just have a great hunch about messaging and then just doesn't go anywhere. Yeah. Yeah, I can uh, feel this. Uh, I, I can definitely yeah. feel this. And uh, finally, as a question that we always like to end on, uh, what one thing uh, would you tell marketers to start, stop and continue doing based on what you are experiencing right now? I think the first one is is start an ABM program no matter what that looks like for you. Just like get it, just get it rolling. Um, don't worry about scale or anything like that. And that's one of the things I hop on a lot of customer calls talking about ABM and how to use user gems for it. And everybody's always like, well, I, there's no way we could hit that scale. And it's like, okay, we'll start out with three accounts and figure out how to do it. And, and what I usually recommend there is like, we use champion tracking as a signal for ABM. So find an account that has three previous champions or four previous or however many champions and start with those accounts because at least you'll have an easier in with those accounts. It's low hanging fruit while you're building out that process. So you see that initial success, hopefully they convert better than any of your other accounts and then you can worry about scale um, and just build it up over time. And I think that that plays into continue uh, or, or stop. I, I think people thinking about automation and scale early on hurts so much stuff. Cause I mean, if, if somebody presented to you our idea for the ABM thing of like, we're going to go out there and we're going to find a testimonial on this, on all of these company sites or as many as we can. And we're going to build an ad with their headshot and their company they were at and where they're at now. You'd be like, this is, this is ridiculous. We're not, we're not doing this at a scale of five, let alone 200 or anything like that. Um, so kind of just stop with the automation, stop focusing on automation early on, do, do things that aren't scalable. We always, we always hear that. Um, just to kind of get that figured out, see how you can get in. I think it's going to be more and more important as people become more and more numb to generic ads or generic content. I think that customization is going to be really important as we go forward. Well, that was amazing. Like, uh, and you gave me eight of ideas about our current ABM campaigns. So, uh, this not only end up being a good podcast, but also end up being a good, uh, advice call. So thank you so much uh, for joining, uh, today, Isaac. Absolutely. I was, it's, I'm, I'm glad I finally got to meet you. We've, we've chatted a little bit, but never, never got to have a chat with you. So I'm, 
I'm excited to, to, to finally be on. Yeah, thank you so much. See ya.